listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. What a joy to be a part of something so great that God is doing right now in the world. And I think that uh, I, will, I will give up my time to continue to hear stories from Kirk and to worship our wonderful God who does so many miracles. On behalf of all the international churches, uh, let me express my gratitude for every investment that you guys are doing in each one of us. We are blessed and we are humbled by every phone call that you make, by every visit that you uh, take the time to make, every financial help that you send to us, and all over the world, people are saved by the Lord through the grace of Jesus Christ because of the sacrifice of so many of you. May the Lord bless you guys for this. Also, I would like to uh, tell you that uh, all over the world where we serve, it doesn't matter the country we are serving in, we can assure you that we fight the same battle that you fight. And that's the battle for glory. That's something that stirs our hearts. That's what, why, what we pursue every day in everything that we do. In Romania, in all over Europe, in Asia, Africa, and Caribbeans, all over the world where harvest churches are, we pursue to see God receiving the glory that only He deserves. And it's not an easy battle to fight. Sometimes we get weary. Sometimes we forget why we are fighting for. Sometimes we discover that we are fighting for our names, for our glory more than we fight for God's glory. God, in His grace, used time like this one to refocus us and to give us again the passion for His glory more than for anything else. And in this morning, I would like to take you in a passage in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where we're going to see exactly this, the battle for glory. And please open your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 6, and we will look together at this passage, starting with verse 1 to verse 25. But before we're going to approach this passage, let me uh, present to you the context of this passage. Uh, God had made a promise to Abraham uh, sometime very many years ago, like over 500 years, that he will uh, born from Abraham a, 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 a nation, a big nation. And this nation will have a land one day. And after they're going to spend a lot of years, more than 400 years in the bondage of Egypt, he will rescue them and then he will lead them till this promised land. And now here in the book of Joshua, we see this promise becoming reality. And God is opening doors for his people to get this promised land. The first enemy that they have to fight with is Jericho. And Jericho was one of the strongest cities from the promised land. And 
Here we get in chapter 6, verse 1. And look with me, please, at what the Lord says in this verse. Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the reason we read this is that the people of Jericho already heard about Israel. And they were afraid of Israel. So in this fight that is really, really important, they really lost that element of surprise so important in every battle. Israel couldn't surprise Jericho anymore because they were prepared. And not just that. Look at look with me in verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with his king and mighty men of valor. Jericho has strong walls, strong gates, mighty men, a king that knows how to fight. And he has been in many battles and he won all of them. And now Israel has to conquer this city. No no, 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 no wonder that, Jerry, that Joshua is, is uh, afraid. He doesn't know what will happen. Especially because looking at the strategy that the king of Jericho approached, he couldn't find any weak spot in it. There is no way you can get into this strong city. Actually, the expression from Hebrew says that Jericho was shut up, shut up. What really means that there's no way into the city. What can you do in a moment like this? In a moment like this, God is the one who has the solution to open the gates, to destroy the walls. And the way God asked Joshua to fight this battle. It's very, very strange. Because in everything that God is presenting to Joshua is actually asking Joshua to not fight this battle as a warrior. And he was a, a very good general. You, you recall some of the victories that he already won. And Joshua has experience. He knows how to fight a battle. But this time God asked Joshua to fight not as a warrior, but as a worshiper. Because this is the first lesson that Israel had to learn from the very beginning of their life in the promised land. And this is that glory is at stake in every battle. Glory is at stake in every battle. We have to understand that there is no neutral battles when it's about glory. We cannot fight battles just for fighting. We cannot get into battles just because we'd like to fight. At the end of every battle, the idea is who will gonna get the glory? Is it God or is it me? Is it God or is it us? At every battle, we should think about that because that's so important into our minds and hearts. Who will receive the glory from the battles that we are fighting? And I don't know exactly what battles are you fighting right now, 
But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to ask yourself, whose glory are you looking for to the battles that you are fighting right now? Is it God's glory? Is it yours? Sometimes we are face to face with battles that if we're going to win, we're going to get more glory. Our life will get easier. We're going to shine more and more and people will see our fame and reputation and they will say, wow, what a great leader. But those, those battles, even if we're going to win them, actually will bring defeat into our lives. Because when we win, because when we work for our glory, we actually are losing. We lose the purpose of everything that we heard so far. The purpose is God's glory, not ours. I really have to be honest with you guys. I really believe that for many years, that battles have to be won, each and every one of them. And I don't like battles, but at least the battles that I would like to get in, I want to be sure that I will win. But this year, God has taught me something that I didn't know. That there are battles that we don't have to win. Because winning them really means that we get the glory, not Him. And God has, has placed me in, in, in battles that I didn't like, I didn't want. But because I was forced to get there, I was ready to fight and win those battles. And God said, no, 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 no. You don't have to fight. Let me do it for you. All you have to do is just fall down, face down and say, Lord, I don't know how to fight this. And I just, I don't know how to fight it. I don't want to fight it because if I was going to fight it, I was going to increase my glory, but not yours. And let's be honest, as pastors, after many years of ministry, we know some things. We know some tricks. We know some secrets, how to win battles. We have so many information of our people. We know so many, we have so many relationships. We have resources. We know enough. And we can do enough to win every battle. That's why sometimes we don't know that God is bringing us in the front of some battles just, just to fall down and say, Lord, I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm not going to fight. You fight for me. You win this battle. Because you is the one who deserves glory. And it's not easy. I have to confess that being face-to-face -face with battles, sometimes it's not easy. Just, just think about the situation of the, the, the Israel. They had to walk around the walls of Jericho six days, every day doing the same thing. Could you imagine what was in the mind of the people of war that were on the walls of, of the city? When they were watching this mighty army that they were afraid of. That's why they, they shut up the doors. W watching this army just walking. And they said, what are they doing? We thought they, are, they, they, they were coming here to fight. And then they go. They leave. 
And tomorrow morning they are showing up again. And maybe the, war, the, the men of war in Jericho, they said like, oh, maybe that's the day. Let's, let's fight. And again, they do the same thing. And probably after the second or the third day, probably the men of war on the walls of Jericho, they started to laugh. It's like, look at them. We are afraid of them. They're so weak. But they didn't know that it wasn't about Israel, but it was about their God. And let me tell you guys, that in the battles that we are fighting, it's okay. It's okay sometimes that people will perceive us like being weak. It's okay to be mocked sometimes. It's okay for people to laugh on us. It's okay for people to despise us. It's okay for people to look at us and say, who is this guy? He wants to win the world for the Lord? Come on, he's weak. He doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the strength to do it. It's okay to be weak if our weakness brings more glory to our God. Because that's the end of every battle. If our weaknesses will bring more glory for our God, then we are winners. We are winners. And I don't know exactly what, what battles you fight, but choose carefully, choose carefully your battles. Not just based on priority importance, but also this battle brings glory to me or to God. To our church, to our name, or to our God. And when God reveals to you that this is a, a battle that you cannot avoid because he wants you to fight, just stand up and fight with courage because the battle is already won. So before you're going to get to fight with people around you, with the battles outside of you, you have to fight the battle inside of your heart. That's the most important battle. Right there to decide whose glory do you want to seek for. Yours or God's glory. Because every, every battle ends up with glory. Either for you or for God. But there's another lesson that Israel had to learn in this first battle that they had to fight. And that lesson is that obedience is the context where God's glory is revealed. Because look with me again in verse 1. Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See? Very interesting word. See? It's the introduction of a, of a very solemn declaration that God makes. Like, be careful. I, I, I want to say to you something very, very important. And the Lord says, I have given Jericho into your hand. Wow, what? what? I don't know. I, I'm not very good in speaking English, English as you. It's very obvious. But <clears throat> I understand that this I have given, we don't have it in Romanian language. I have given is that perfect tense. Something that God said, I've done already, but you don't see it yet and God says to Joshua be careful look at me watch you with your eyes I have given Jericho into your hand wow what a great news God already won the victory so we can we can just 
go tomorrow morning without being prepared because the victory is ours. That's what the Lord said. But then you look in verse 3 and 4 and you realize that it's not that easy because look at me. See, I have given Jericho into your hand with his, its king and mighty men of valor. And then you shall march around the city, all, um, all of men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do uh, for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And then the priests shall uh, blow the trumpets. And when they made a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. So God says, I have given you Jericho into your hand. But then he says, there are a few things that you have to do. And God gives so many details to Joshua. That's something that I don't understand. God says that he already done something, but it's not yet there. And actually, our entire life and ministry is lived between these two important moments. Between the moment when God speaks and the moment of not yet. And between these two moments, obedience is required from us. There are things that God has promised to us there are things that God has promised to you, but they are not yet here. And before that yet to come a reality, you have to do some things. You have to be obedient. There are details that God is giving to you and ask from you because what God says is important. And believe me, the most important moment of a battle, it's not when you have to really fight. The most important moment of a battle is when God speaks. Because that's the part that we sometimes forget. We are ready to fight and say, oh, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. And God says, I, I have some things to, to tell you that you have to do. And Joshua was very careful to every detail that God was telling him. Because he knew and in order to win this battle in such a way that God will get the glory, he really needs to pay attention to every detail of what God is asking him to do. Because every detail matters to God. I don't know exactly if that really matters for the, the battle in itself. I don't know exactly if, if I don't know, uh, Joshua uh, could go uh, to for, for that walk maybe later in the day. He went very early in the morning, as the passage is, is explaining to us. I don't know exactly what the, what's the point of, of who will going to be first and what they have to do and how many instruments they are going to carry and how, how hard they will they'll shout. I don't know exactly if those details are really important for the battle itself. But they matter to God. Because they prove our faith and our obedience. Because between what God speaks and the reality of the win, we have to obey the Lord. 
and our obedience prove our faith into our God. I want to remind to you what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. I thought that God has done that, not by faith. Yes, by faith in what God already decided to do. And that's so important for all of us because sometimes it's hard. Just, just imagine with me. One day, the first day, they are walking around the city walls and nothing is happening. And I want to remind you that from Gilgal, where it was the, the camp of Israel, to Jericho, there were like two hours walking. And then another hour to, to, to walk around the walls. Every day, three hours. So after one day, nothing has happened. And then the second day, you know, they walk again. And I don't know how are you doing with this, but at least me, I hope that at least after the second day, maybe not after the second day, maybe after the third day, I could see some changes in the wall. <laughs> maybe not falling down, but at least a crack something there. <laughs> a, a, a little stone falling down. That will support my faith, will increase my faith. And still, oh, oh it's working. Because the problem with our faith and, or with our, with our obedience is that sometimes we don't believe that it's really working. And you believe and you listen and you do what the Lord is saying. And then you say, God, nothing is changing. Nothing is changing. And then the fourth walk and the fifth and the sixth and nothing is changing. And sometimes... Most of us will stop after the third walk. And it's so sad that some of us are stopping after the sixth walk. Not knowing that the victory is like one step away. Because it's not about what you see around you. Again, is it working to believe in God? Is it really working to obey God? Is it really working to, to, to really say, God, I'm doing all of, all, 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 everything that you are asking me to do? And when you look around you, you see that it's not working. Let me tell you something. Probably the problem is the place you are looking for, the change. Because let me tell you, faith and obedience really work really work but not south of us not outside of us but inside of us in our hearts the the more we believe in god the more our faith grows the more we obey god the more our faith grows and you don't see yet the walls falling down but your heart your heart believe more and more in god's power and you become more dependent on him. Yeah, I know. Desperation is growing too in your heart. And that's good, believe me. Because when you get to the desperation of your heart, your prayers will be hot. Really, really hot. The temperature of your prayers will grow, will increase. And you don't pray like, God, you know, I want to win this. It's about God. I cannot do it without you. I don't know how you're going to get out of this. Help me, help me, help me. And when you pray like that, you will know it wasn't you. It wasn't God. And he will receive all the glory. And I know exactly 
What is God asking you to do right now in the battle that you are fighting? For me, I'm a very relational person. Sometimes the pastors of Harvest, especially here at Harvest Oakville, they are laughing about me. <laughs> They're my friends. Because I'm a hugger, I'm a crier, I'm a kisser too. <laughs> I like people. And you know, I really like that my relationship will be in peace with everybody. For me, some of my biggest battles are when I have to say the truth to somebody and to break a relationship. I don't want to say it. I really want to be liked by other people. That's my idol. But one friend of mine told me, if you like to be liked by others, stop being a pastor. <laughs> and go and sell ice cream. <laughs> Actually, it's not such a bad idea. <laughs> but that's my battle. And when I have to defend truth, God says to me, go. And I said, God, I don't want to do it. It's hard for me. He says, like, I have given you this, but you have to move your feet, open your mouth, and speak, and speak what I'm telling you to say, because when you do that, I'm, I'm winning the victory for you, and I will get the glory, not you. So no matter the battle that you are fighting, if God is asking you to do something, do it. Do it because you're not going to regret your belief and your also obedience really work together. First in your heart and then outside of you. That was the second lesson that the people of Israel had to learn in the first battle that they have to fight in the promised land. And there's another one, the last one. And this is God's glory is best displayed through the fulfillment of his plans. If you remember, God has sent Israel in Canaan, not just for, to give them a, a promised land, but also to bring judgment. It was really important for them to understand that what the Lord is doing with them, bringing them in this promised land, it is more uh, than their lives. It, it, it is something, it's bigger than their own interest. And the truth is, sometimes I believe that all that God wants to do is to improve my life. That's why he's always concerned about. To make me happier. To make me, you know, have an easier life. To improve my life. That's why God makes so many promises. And that, that's, that's so far from the truth. Because whenever God is using us, he's using us usually for a cause bigger than our lives. Bigger than ourselves. That was the case with Israel. God has brought them there because he wanted to use them for the purpose of judgment. And you, you can look in verse 17 and you listen the words that God says. And the city and all that is within, it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Very, very important. Why should we destroy everything? Because God says so. Because God wants to bring judgment over the people in this promised land that you are going to inherit. You have to bring judgment. 
and we don't like this God. There are even people who says like, um, they don't like this God of the Old Testament because he's so different than the God of New Testament. The God of Old Testament is cruel, is merciless, and the God of New Testament is kind and good and full of grace. But that's not truth. It's not the truth. What we see here in the book of Joshua is nothing but the consequences of his holiness ignored by those who live in a sinful way, who despise his goodness. And that's not available just for the Old Testament, by the way. It is happening today, too. Just read for yourself home Hebrew 10, verse 26 to 31, and you'll see that reality. God will not be mocked. God will not be despised without consequences. And God has bring Israel in this land to bring his judgment. But not just judgment. Look at me again in verse 17. And look how it, 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 it continues. And the city and all that is within, it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. In the middle of judgment, God does what he likes to do the most, saving people. And what kind of people he's saving? A prostitute. It's not, believe me, an accident that the Holy Spirit chose to use this word after every time the name of Rahab is used in this chapter. Rahab, the prostitute. Rahab, the prostitute. Because God wants to save her, not because she's good, but by his grace. It's grace in the middle of judgment to see God's grace flowing and, 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 and coming down over people who don't deserve to be saved, they are saved. And that's why I call this glory. And in the middle of judgment, God is saving people. And that's why some of you who present from time to time testimonies of people who are saved, you call them glory story. Because in the middle of judgment, when we know that we deserve judgment, when we see what God does in the middle of judgment, saving people, redeeming them, that's glory. What God is doing here in chapter 6, in a partial way, God has done in a perfect way on the cross. When the judgment that we have deserved had fallen on Jesus, and he took it all from us. But that judgment brings the salvation for all who believes in him. Judgment and redemption. Judgment and salvation. That's why we have, we need to have the cross of Christ at the center of our ministries. At the center of our lives, we have to embrace the cross for ourselves. Make it the most important reality of everyday life. It's not just something that we preach about. It's something that we, we embrace every day. And it, it's not easy. Because when you embrace the cross, you will be hurted. You will be wounded. Because it's not easy 
The cross is always bringing pain to those who are embracing it. But at the same time, the more we embrace the cross, the more grace will flow out of us because of the cross of Christ and will get into the places that right now are still under God's judgment all over the world. We embrace the cross for ourselves and then we show the cross to others through our lives and through our ministries. Rahab just believed that God has sent the two spies not just to be the spies because if you look with me in verse 12, uh, uh, in verse 17 and then in verse, uh, in verse uh, 25, you will see that the way she perceived the, the spice was really interesting. Look at me in verse 22, for example. But to, to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house. Again, it's a name that we, we don't like to use in the church, but the Holy Spirit wanted to use it. Because it's important to understand that salvation, it's by grace. Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swear to her. And verse 25, but Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's hold, household and all who belong to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day. And look at me, why? Because she hid the messengers, not the spies, the messengers, the messengers of peace. She really believed that God has sent the two men there to bring peace with those that will believe him. And she embraced them and she received them. And because of that, she was saved. And dear ones, that's the glory we experience all over the world in the ministry that we do. That in the nations that deserve God's judgment, we, the ones who are saved by grace, we proclaim the truth without apology. And then we saved people and we tell them that God wants to be in peace with them. And that's glory. And sometimes we see how glory just falls on our people. We are the messengers of peace, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter, two, chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making the appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And that's the message of glory that we have to share and proclaim through everything that we do. And let me tell you one of those stories. A few months ago, this summer, I just noticed in our congregation a man that was pretty unusual for us because he was dressed in suit and tie. We are very casual in our church, like in most of your churches. And I knew this, this is not one of us. He was pretty old. At the end of the, of, of the service, I went to him and I said, uh, it, it's obvious that you are new here. Who are you? And he said, like, he, he, he told me his name, and he said, I'm a Greek Orthodox, a former Greek Orthodox priest. I was like, wow, I want to hear his story. So I said, where, where, where do you live? And he said, like, I, I live in a village close to Braila. Like, how close? He said, like, 40 kilometers. I said, wow. And you traveled to, to be here? He said, yes, I found you on the Internet. 
and I wanted to be a part of this church, and I want to be a part of this church. So I said, can I, can I come next week and visit with you? And he said, like, sure, you are more than welcome. So I got one of my colleagues, and we went together to visit with him. We got there in a hospital where he's, where he's uh, having a, a, a room for himself, and he started to tell us his story. After he graduated seminary, he was appointed to be uh, in the office of one of the most important bishops in Romania, a man with a lot of power. And in the 90s, the Greek Orthodox Church had a campaign against the evangelical cults because that's how they are calling all the, the, the evangelical churches. In Romania, all, everything that is outside of the, the Greek Orthodox Church is cult. So they said, we have to fight against the evangelical churches. And we know that the most important weapon they have is their Bible. So if we'll be able to destroy their Bibles, then we're going to get rid of them. So he said, thousands of Bibles were confiscated and cut it in pieces and sent them to be made toilet paper. One day he said in my office, one lady that was working there, she came to me with a Bible, very, very happy, and she said, Father, I just received this Bible from a friend of mine, and he said, like, give it to me, I want to check it first. And he, when he opened the Bible, and he, when he saw that it doesn't have the approval of the patriarch of the Orthodox Church, he said, this is not a good Bible, it has to be destroyed. Just go and destroy it. And the lady said, I'm not going to destroy it. If you want to destroy it, you do it. And the priest said, I knew in my heart that that was not a Bible of the evangelical church. It was, the, it was God's word. And I was afraid to destroy it. So I got a Bible, threw it on my desk, and I said, I will find somebody that will do that dirty work for me. Next Sunday, he went in the church where he was serving. And after the service, while he was behind the wall, because that's the construction of every Orthodox church, like there is a wall where is the altar, and nobody is allowed to go there, only the priest. While he was behind the wall, just preparing himself to get out of there and talk with the people, he heard a voice, a very clear voice that told, me that, that, that told him this, Live alone, my children. He was, he was scared. He looked around to see if there's somebody else with him there, and he couldn't find anyone. So he started to shake because he realized that was God. And the voice said again, go home and read the Bible you have on your desk. And he did. He came out of the altar, and he told to the people that were waiting for him that he cannot talk anymore. And he went home, grabbed the Bible, and he opened it, and by accident, by accident, <laughs> it opened to Matthew 22, verse 29, where it says, You are wrong because you don't know the Scriptures and the power of God. And so he fell down on his knees and he said, Lord, I'm so sorry for fighting against you. Please, Reveal yourself to me. And he started to study the Bible and to compare what he was, uh, what he learned in the seminary with everything that he could find here. 
and he discovered that he needs to be baptized and he went to a church and he was baptized and studied the Bible and he discovered that everything that he has done so far it was not in the Bible so gave, he gave up all of his possession all the power that he had and he lived on the streets for years because the evangelical churches were too afraid to receive him finally he arrived in this village near Brela in the middle of nowhere and he was praying God give me a church that preach and proclaim the word without apology because that's the church I want to be a part of and he said I found you on the, on the internet and I came here and he said I don't want to leave from this place and right now this man that was a part of a church that was under the judgment of God he's now a messenger of peace for everybody that hears his story this is glory and we have the chance to experience every day of our lives it's hard sometimes for us there we fight with poverty we fight with hopelessness we fight with families who are split because they have to live in other countries to provide for their families we fight with orphans with people that never been embraced but you know what those are the places where God's glory shines brighter and we have the chance of seeing that every day let me ask you whose, glo whose glory do you seek yours or God's glory if you want to see God's glory just get on board with his plans continue to proclaim the truth as you do in all of the harvest churches without apology and then embrace those who are ready to receive you and your message of peace that God has entrusted you with till the full display of God's glory will come upon us in one orphanage somebody was asked uh, because he wanted to get involved into that orphanage for mental uh, for kids with mental handicap he said like what is your biggest problem because I want to help with and the one who was leading the orphanage responded our biggest challenge are dirty windows and, and the man said like what do you mean I don't understand I thought you need maybe clothing or food he said no no dirty windows what do you mean to that and he said like every day we teach our kids that Jesus has died for them on the cross he was rose from the death and he's now in heaven but one day one day he will come back and oh, we all will gonna see his glory and the man said the problem is that these kids believe so much that Christ may come every day that the first thing that they do after they wake up they go to the windows and touch the windows with their hands 
hoping that they were going to see Jesus. And that's my prayer for you guys and for me. To live in such a way that our windows will be dirty. Knowing that our Jesus may come today. We don't have too much time to fight this battle. But not for our glory. For His glory. That's why we are here. That's why we live for. To see His glory increasing more and more. Let us pray. Father, what a grace, what a grace we have to have received the good news of peace. We people that deserve judgment and your wrath. But because of Christ's cross, we are reconciled with you, part of your family, and you are our Father. Thank you so much for giving us the honor to live for you and for your glory and to invite others into this style of life. Thank you for everything that you do in all of the Harvest Churches and all the churches that are vertical and seek your glory. Continue, continue to do this work in ourselves in such a way that we are more about glory than we are right now. And thank you for all the glory stories that we're going to see in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.